This morning's lesson is found in Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily to delight and delight to know my ways. As if there were a nation, they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the reed, the head like a reed, and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break? every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when, when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the, the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the sixth chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. Jesus said, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. As we remain standing, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and thank you for your presence with us. And we'd ask now that your word would rule over us, your spirit would teach, that you being seen and known and glorified would be our first, our only concern. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? This year, we've been working our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in Lent, we have jumped forward to chapter 6 that we might reflect upon the kingdom disciplines, the disciplines that allow the kingdom to take shape in us and through us. And they just happen to be the same disciplines that Lent always invites us into, the disciplines of almsgiving and prayer and fasting. Now, each section that we've looked at follows the same pattern. When you give, says Jesus, don't do it that way, do it this way. When you pray, don't do it that way, do it this way. And today, when you fast, don't do it that way, do it this way. Now, as I've listened to Karen and Jonathan and Orvin preach this section, I've been able to bring something to the table. Jesus, here is my giving. How does your kingdom shape how I give? Jesus, here is my prayer life. How does your kingdom shape how I pray? But today, I wasn't able to bring a thing at all. I got tripped up on the first few words. When you fast. Well, well, Jesus, I, I, I don't. Well, you know, I've fasted a few times in my life, and over the last few years, I've given in to the pressure to give something up for Lent because, you know, an Anglican minister has to have an answer to that question. What will you give up for Lent? For years, I got away with simply saying, well, if Jesus really wanted me to give it up, why would I wait for Lent? <laughs> when you fast, says Jesus. I was immediately convicted. For Jesus is saying there's something about fasting that allows my kingdom to take shape in you and through you when you fast. Now, I would hazard a guess that I'm not alone in those words exposing fasting's absence. Whether born of our Protestant evangelical traditions or a lack of exposure or experience or understanding, I would think that this is the least practiced of all of the kingdom disciplines. So in light of the conviction that I felt, I made a commitment this week. Not only would I pour over and study what the scriptures had to say about fasting, but I would actually practice it. Such that this sermon prayerfully may be not only the passing on of information, but of lived experience. Now what is fasting? Well, fasting is essentially giving up food for a spiritual, a kingdom purpose. But how can giving up food nourish my spiritual life, my life in the kingdom? Well, I think we often make a false and unbiblical separation between the physical and the spiritual. Such dualism is, I think, a modern Christian heresy. I've got my body and I've got my spirit. No, no. The two are deeply intertwined, inseparable, in fact. It was C.S. Lewis who said, we are creatures, and so what we do with our bodies deeply impacts the soul. 
I mean, we see that in the practice of prayer, don't we? There's no real direction biblically of what to do with our bodies when we pray. In fact, in the time of Jesus, they prayed standing up with their eyes open aloud, but most of us were formed in a very different physical posture when we pray that impacts our souls. We pray with our eyes closed to be free from distraction. We pray with our heads bowed or kneeling to express our humility before Almighty God. We often pray silently, for we're in intimacy, communion with the Father. We see a similar reality in our worship in song. At times we sing with our arms outstretched, Lord, I'm ready to receive whatever you give. Or to raise our hands, I exalt you, I praise you, I desire more of you. So when we fast, what are we expressing? Feeling. It's hunger, right? Our bodies are telling us that we are lacking something that we desperately need to sustain and nourish us. And in fasting, we're turning that hunger heavenward. There is something that I need to sustain and nourish me that only you can give, God. Indeed. For humanity does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In fasting, we're turning our hunger heavenward. When you fast, says Jesus. When you fast, don't do it that way, verse 16. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces in order to be seen by others. Now, in the original language of the text, the word hypocrite was the word actor. The phrase, in order to be seen by others, was the Greek word theathenai, from which we get our word theater. When you fast, says Jesus, don't be like actors in a theater playing before an audience in order to win their approval. Now, this was actually a thing. There was only one biblically prescribed fast day, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But by the time of Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees had increased that a little bit. They were fasting twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. Interestingly enough, it just so happened that market day was twice a week. You guessed it, on Mondays and Thursdays. The audience was ready. The stage was set. And to draw even more attention to themselves, some of them would dishevel their hair or put dirt and ash on their faces or even whiten their faces to look pale, yearning for others to notice, to acknowledge, to applaud their goodness. And they did. You see, our perception looking back is that the scribes and Pharisees were the antagonists of the gospel story, but not so in their own culture. They were the people who were calling their nation back to covenantal faithfulness. Just as Israel's unfaithfulness had led to Babylonian captivity, so it was perceived that their continued unfaithfulness had led their nation to be under the thumb of the Romans. Only a turning of the heart of the nation back to God would turn the tide of their history. And the Pharisees were leading the charge. They were highly respected. You wanted to be one. And if you couldn't be one, you wanted to travel in their circles or have your daughter marry one. We would mock someone who would walk through St. Lawrence Market looking dour and drawing attention to their religious piety. Not so in Jesus' day. 
they would be affirmed, exalted, praised, emulated. When you fast, don't do it that way. Well, of course not, right? I mean, we're probably not even the least bit tempted. Seems a rather irrelevant warning to us. Or is it? If true fasting is turning our hunger heavenward, what was their fasting? It was turning their hunger outward towards others. I mean, every single market day, their hunger was on display. Do you see me? Do you call me good? Applaud me? Accept me? Want to be me? And they did. And Jesus says they've received their reward. The hunger they turned outward for others was indeed satisfied as much as hunger turned outward can be satisfied by fellow creatures. Do we not turn our hunger outward toward others all of the time? Do you see me? Love me? Accept me? Affirm me as good? See me as beautiful? Do you find me worthy, acceptable? I mean, we sense that hunger, don't we, expressed all around us? It forms the content of our conversations, the shape of our relationships. It shapes what we do with our time, our money, who we're in relationship with, who not. Social media just makes this all the clearer to see. We post the successes and never the failures, the happy memories and never the grievous ones, The pictures that make us look our best and never the bad hair day. And if our hunger turned outward toward others, that is it. Do you love me? Do you accept me? Affirm me? See me as good, as beautiful? Hit that like button, comment, share it with others. And such hunger is a natural part of being human. But those hungers are never fully satisfied, are they? No, right? Because we curate them. And we wonder, what would happen if I exposed that failure or shed light onto that darkness or revealed my less appealing side? Would you still love me, still accept me, still think well of me? When you fast, don't do it that way. Don't turn your hunger outward to be satisfied by others. Turn your hunger heavenward. When you fast, verse 17, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, this is not Jesus saying, hide the fact that you're fasting. This was just normal, everyday, personal hygiene. When you fast, just carry on with your everyday. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Turn your hunger heavenward. Bring your hunger before your heavenly Father. What hunger? Well, scripturally, I believe there are three deep hungers of the human heart that fasting gives expression to. First, the hunger for right relationship. You see, biblically, the only prescribed fast was Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, a day of national repentance. Fasting and repentance, then, are biblically deeply linked. Now, what hunger sits under repentance 
What sits under the desire to grieve and turn away from your sin? Is it not the hunger for atonement? The hunger for at-one-ment? The hunger for right relationship with the Father? I mean, think of it for a moment in the realm of personal relationships. What motivates us to take the hard yards to confess our wrong to another and ask for their forgiveness? Is it not the hunger for deepening or restored relationship? Perhaps an example would help. Mark and I have been friends for some 20 years. In a particular season, we hurt and wronged one another. And the friendship cooled a little. We remained fr friends and were kept close by a mutual friend by the name of Chris. And Chris was one of the once-in-a-lifetime kind of friends, the kind of friends you could reveal truly who you are and he would never recoil, never pull away. Well, this past summer, Chris tragically and unexpectedly died. And in our shared grief, Mark and I came together to grieve and to talk about friendship, to talk about what we'd lost in Chris. And both of us expressed a yearning for that kind of friendship to be recreated between us. But what to do about the ways we'd hurt and wronged one another? There were some tough conversations. Both of us acknowledged what we did wrong and extended and received forgiveness, and the result was a restored and a deepened friendship, all born of a hunger for right relationship. Fasting gives expression to the hunger for right relationship with the Father, a hunger for atonement, a hunger for at-one-ment, and there can be no at-one-ment without repentance and forgiveness. So in fasting and repentance, that underlying hunger for right relationship moves us to turn over every rock, to expose every motivation, to lay in front of the Lord's holiness every aspect of our lives to his scrutiny. Isaiah 58, our first reading, helps us to see this. Now some of us, some have seen this text as, as a dismissal of religious piety in favor of a new kind of piety. You know, God isn't interested in your fasting. Instead, he wants your passion for social justice. No, no. This text is a corrective, an invitation to return to the true heart of fasting, yearning for right relationship born of repentance. And the fruit of that will be a passion for justice flourishing in every aspect of life, food for the hungry, justice for the afflicted, freedom for the captives. Why? Because you will have repented of the sins that give rise to such injustice. You will have turned away from the structures that support such injustice. And in being drawn closer to the heart of God, you will see his heart for the poor, the broken, the afflicted, and being exposed to the beauty of his heart. You want nothing more to the reflect that beauty. Such is the fruit of a hunger for right relationship born of repentance. Now, the second deep hunger that fasting gives expression to is the hunger for wisdom and direction. 
All throughout Scripture, and in particular in the book of Acts, you find the people of God turning to a time of fasting and prayer to seek the Lord's direction. Where do we go now? What do you want us to do? And I would suspect that every single one of us here have some decision we're facing or some situation that we're facing that we desperately need heavenly wisdom for. Earlier this week, I was speaking with a friend and colleague about fasting. And he shared that it was his wife that drew him into the practice. They were facing a pretty important decision in life. It was life-altering. They were whether to leave their career, their financial security, the life they had built for themselves, to return to school and to pursue ministry. And so they fasted and prayed for 40 days and found the Lord's direction in the midst of that fasting. And as he was describing the experience, it seemed that when they were facing the implications of that decision, when that decision got tough, They were able to look back on what God had revealed to them in that time of fasting to convince them that indeed the Lord was in it. That no matter what difficulty they were facing in the moment in light of that decision, there was a peace. God was with them in it. In fasting and prayer, we hunger for the Lord's wisdom and direction. Now the third and final deep hunger fasting expresses is a hunger for his presence. In Matthew 9, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus. And they come with a bit of a confrontational question. They say, why is it that we fast, the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? And Jesus' response is essentially, well, why would they? I'm here with them. They have the joy of my presence. When I'm gone, that will be the time to fast. Meaning that Jesus is saying that fasting gives expression to a deep hunger for Jesus' presence. A deep hunger for the Spirit to bring Jesus alive in our hearts. Let me give an example. We're told in Jesus that we are loved beyond imagining. That in Jesus, we have been adopted as beloved children of a heavenly father. But do we feel that? Do we experience that? Do we know that to the very core of our being? Thomas Goodwin was a 17th century preacher. And he tells a story in which he says, picture a father and a daughter walking down the road together, hand in hand, father, daughter, daughter, father. This little girl knows that this man is her father and that her father loves her. But then all of a sudden, the father stops. He stoops down and he gathers her in his arms and he swings her around. He kisses her on the cheek and whispers in her ear, I love you. I'm proud of you. The girl is no more a daughter when she's being embraced and kissed than she was before. The father's action has not changed her status. But oh, what a difference in the experience of that status. As we long for Jesus' presence, we're hungering for such a thing to happen within us. For the Spirit to make Jesus real to us. For head and heart to connect, so to speak. It's like the difference of knowing that honey is sweet because you've been told that it's sweet. 
to knowing that it's sweet because you've tasted it. It's the difference of knowing that Jesus loves you because you've been told it to having experienced it and tasted it. In his writings, Jonathan Edwards expresses that this is the key to a vibrant, life-transforming faith. Truth becoming real to us at the very core of our being. For example, he says, everyone in my town believes in the resurrection of the dead, believes that in Jesus there is life beyond the grave, that Jesus is coming again to make everything new. But the problem, he says, is that it's not real to them. If it were real to them, they would be incredibly generous. They wouldn't hold on to their money. If it were real to them, they wouldn't fear death. They would live incredibly fearless, joy-filled lives. To be transformative, truth must come home. It must become real to us at the very core of our being. And when we fast, hungering for Jesus' presence, we're hungering for the Spirit to make Jesus real to us. To make Him come alive in us. Catch fire in us. Our responsive psalm, Psalm 63, gives expression to this hunger. Where hunger for right relationship involves fasting and repentance, and hunger for the Lord's wisdom and direction requires fasting and prayer, it seems that hunger for the Lord's presence requires fasting and praise, fasting and meditation. For we find David in this psalm praising, meditating, extolling the character and the goodness and the love of God as he says, your steadfast love is better than life. He wants that truth to become real to him. Fasting and praise, fasting and meditation lays the table for his truth to become real to us, to come alive in us. As I fasted this week, I prayerfully sat with Psalm 63, allowing David's words to give expression to my hunger, hunger for right relationship, hunger for direction, hunger for his presence. And sin was exposed, and direction was given, and truth became real. In my very limited experience of fasting, it confirmed Jesus' final words. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Reward in what way? C.S. Lewis in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, that said that biblically, reward is the activity itself in consummation. It's not, you fasted, good job, gold star for you. It's not, you fasted, good job, that thing you want, it's yours. It is the activity itself in consummation. It is bringing our hunger before our Heavenly Father and finding that hunger satisfied. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for right relationship with the Father? In fasting and repentance, turn over every stone, expose every motivation, bring every aspect of your life under the scrutiny of His holiness. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for wisdom and direction? 
in prayer and fasting, desire his input, long for his leading. Are you hungry? Hungry for his grace, his love, his hope, his peace to become real to you. In fasting and praise, fasting and meditation, elevate his character, exalt his goodness. Turn your hunger heavenward. Bring it before the Father, for he loves you. He yearns to draw you close, to guide you, to make himself real to you, that your hunger would be satisfied and that his kingdom would take shape in you and through you to his glory alone. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.